Let's hear God's word. In verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Our God, we praise you for revealing yourself to us, especially in your word. How we can know of your mercies, of your grace, and your special love for your people. We thank you that you work through your word to grow us, to build up your church, and to save those who are in the kingdom of darkness. We pray for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts now. As we receive your word, Lord, we pray that Satan would not snatch away the seed of the word, and that the world would not choke out this seed of your word, but that instead it would be planted deep into our hearts, that it would grow and bear much fruit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Long, long ago in the early 80s was written a book that became a bestseller, written by a rabbi. You may have heard of this book. It's called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And uh, this book sold, uh, since, since then has sold 4 million copies, which shows you that this is a big question for people. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that book is full of bad theology. It's not a Christian book. Don't read it. You're wasting your time if you read it. Um, but it's bad theology for, for a couple reasons. First of all, the answer in the book is that God is not in control of bad things. God is all loving, but God is not all powerful. 
So he, he tries to excuse God by saying God was, is not in control when bad things happen. So we definitely don't believe that. We think that's unbiblical. But it's also bad theology, even in the question of the book, the title of the book. Why do bad things happen to good people is a question itself full of bad theology. Because we know from the Bible that there are no good people. As R.C. Sproul says in his clever way, he says, bad things only happen to good people once, and he volunteered. Speaking of Christ, Christ was the only good person to ever live on this earth, and he volunteered for suffering. So it's a terrible book with bad theology, but it is a question that many people have. Why do bad things happen? And we know the ultimate answer to the, the, the big picture answer is that sin is in the world. The world is cursed. We're under the effects of the fall. And so even though we can't trace every specific instance of, well, here's exactly why this particular thing happened in your life, we know in general bad things happen to us because we live in a cursed world. But then we could ask a question, well, why do bad things happen to God's people? We know that there aren't really good people out there. We're all bad. We all deserve uh, to, to be cursed. But why do bad things happen to God's people? Doesn't God love us? Doesn't God want to bless us? If we follow his word, shouldn't that result in many blessings from God? And so any of you, if you have at any point walked along the journey of the Christian walk, you've had to wrestle with this question. Why the suffering in my life? Why these bad things that are happening to me? And the Bible gives a lot of answers to those questions. Uh, We're going to see two answers in this passage. But you could look at the book of Job and you could say that sometimes bad things happen to God's people as a test of their faith. That's what we see happening to Job. Sometimes uh, you, you could say that bad things happen to us as discipline for our sins. Hebrews 12 says God disciplines those he loves. And you see in the example of David that, that after he committed adultery, that God's discipline up upon him was that his son would die. You can look at Proverbs and say, well, sometimes bad things happen just as a natural consequence in the world uh, for your foolish choices. You carry uh, coals in your, your, your chest, you're going to be burned. You get, you get close to the adulterous woman, it's not going to be good for your marriage. Bad things are going to happen to you. We can look at John chapter 9 of a man born blind And Jesus says that this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. So sometimes bad things happen to us because they will ultimately bring glory to God. You can look at Romans 8, 28. The promise that God works all things together for good for those who love him. And so we know that when bad things happen in our lives, if you are one of God's people, that ultimately it will work for good in your life. We know from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that sometimes bad things happen, light and momentary afflictions happen to us because they prepare for us an eternal weight of glory. 
that the suffering in this life can result in greater rewards in the next life? Well, those are all biblical answers. But in this passage, we're just going to focus on two more. Sometimes bad things happen to you so that you will be able to comfort others in their affliction. And sometimes bad things happen to you to teach you to rely on God, not on yourself. So those are just two out of many answers in the Bible that we want to think about this morning. Let's start with the first one. That sometimes bad things, afflictions happen to us because God is trying to teach us how to comfort others. We're going to spend most of the time here on this first one. That we see that in verses 3 to 7. Now as we start looking at uh, this passage, we're here after last week looking at the greeting as Paul opened his letter with grace to you. And now he's getting into the main body of the letter What's the context of this? Why is Paul starting out this way with blessing God? Well, remember that normally in one of Paul's letters, he will give a thanksgiving to God, thanking the church, thanking God for the church and and the blessings in the church and saying he prays for the church. But because of the strained relationship, the difficulties between him and the Corinthians, That's probably why he doesn't start out with a thanksgiving here. But instead, he's going straight into his self-defense. So Paul here is on trial. He is in court and he is giving his defense testimony. He's being accused of not being a real apostle. He's being accused of not loving the Corinthians. And so he wants to defend himself. And in these first two chapters, he's going to defend why he didn't come to Corinth. He said he was going to visit, and then he didn't. And so people are using that in Corinth to attack his integrity. And so as he starts his self-defense here in the first two chapters, he is presenting these sufferings that he went through as a sign that he's a real apostle, as a sign that he is weak, that he has suffered, that he's been afflicted, but that that's a good thing because it makes him rely on God and not on himself, unlike those other apostles, so-called apostles. They rely on themselves, but he relies on God. And it's a good thing because it is for their own good, their own comfort. And so instead of them getting mad at him for being this suffering, weak apostle, They should be glad because as he suffers, he is able to learn how to comfort them. That's why he begins the letter this way. And so he starts in verse three by saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort. He starts instead of giving thanks to God for them, instead just blessing God, praising God. He praises the God and Father of their Lord Jesus Christ, and he mentions that he's the Father of Christ because it is through Christ, then, that we receive these benefits 
of God as our Father. Because God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is also our Father if we belong to Christ. And so he is called the Father of mercies. Mercies here is the word compassion. Compassion in the plural. He is the Father of many compassions, showing much mercy. Uh, The word mercy there is the the same word that is translated in Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father pities his children, as a father has mercy on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands, he gently bears us and rescues us from all our foes. Because he's the father who looks upon you, his people, and through Jesus Christ, he has pity upon you in your suffering. He has pity upon you in your sin. And through Jesus, he comes and he shows grace and mercy to you. And so we can say like Daniel does in chapter 9 when he's praying on behalf of Israel, Lord, we do not present our requests before you because of our own righteousness, but because of your great Mercy is the father of mercies. And so you can come to him through Jesus Christ and not your own righteousness. Thomas Watson says God's mercy is one of the most orient pearls in his crown. So if you look at God, there are many wonderful attributes of of God and they, they are all wonderful and amazing. But his mercy is one that is especially attractive to us. We love that God is a merciful God because we know his holiness and we know our unrighteousness. And so we are drawn to the merciful God, the father of mercies. And he is also the God of all comfort because he pities us in our suffering. He comes and he comforts us. And so Paul knows that because of God's mercy, he was rescued from this affliction. And because of God's mercy, God used this suffering and affliction for a good purpose in his life to teach him how to comfort others. So as we go on then from uh, verse 3, we can look at the rest of verses 4 to 7 in two different parts. The first is the comfort that we receive, and then the comfort that we then give to others. If you're going to give others comfort, you have to receive it yourself. We do this all the time throughout our day. Uh, you, have a, you have a problem, you have a sickness, you, you like to tell each other about your special remedies. Here's this tea I drank, it helped me with this. Here's this thing I did. You can't get your baby to sleep? Well, here's how I got my baby to sleep. And, and you, you like to talk to each other about these things. This is what worked for me. And so I want to share it with you. Well, you can't, in good conscience, tell other people about God's mercy and God's comfort to you. If you to, to them, if you haven't experienced it for yourself. So, what is the comfort that... First of all, we receive. Well, at the end of verse 3, he calls him the God of all comfort. In verse 4, who comforts us 
in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Notice the word all. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we can comfort others in any affliction. God's comfort is always available. You, have, you can always experience it. No matter what you're going through, God can be your comforter. And the hymn says, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus because you've proved him over and over again. In all your afflictions, you know that he has been faithful to you. When you were sick, maybe very sick, maybe you thought that you were going to die, Jesus was faithful to you. The God of all comfort comforted you. When you were young and you didn't know what your future would hold, God was faithful to you. When you struggled in your marriage, God helped you and was faithful. When you were struggling, raising kids, God was faithful. When you had trouble paying bills, he was faithful. When there were troubles in the church, he was faithful. When you stand by the graveside of those that you love, when you lost a spouse or a parent or a child, you know that God was there to comfort you. In all these situations throughout your life, in all your affliction, God comforted you. And then he goes on to say, That this comfort comes through Christ in verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We have been comforted by God, and this comfort came through Christ. But he says, It comes through Christ as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to share in the sufferings of Christ? Well, we see this in the New Testament in multiple places. Philippians 3 verse 10, Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings. Paul desires to share in the sufferings of Christ. In Romans 8, verse 17, he also says that we are heirs with God, provided that we suffer with him. And so if we want to reign with him, we must first suffer with him. We must share in his sufferings. I think there are two ways that that can be true. First of all, you can think of Paul as as a preacher of the gospel, And yourself, if you are going to share the gospel with someone else. So if we think of Christ's sufferings as his sufferings on the cross, uh, Christ died on the cross about 2,000 years ago. But for someone to be saved, they have to hear the gospel now, today, in, in our time. And for you to be saved, you have to hear the gospel. And so how does the sufferings of Christ come to fruition or fulfillment? Well, it's through a preacher of the gospel. And God has ordained that the preachers of the gospel share in his sufferings. 
Of course, we're not, being, we're not atoning for people's sins, but we are suffering to bring the gospel to people. You have to die to yourself if you are going to bring the gospel so that others may live. And Paul says this in chapter 4. He says, death is at work in us, but life in you. I think that's true for anybody who preaches the gospel. If people are going to have eternal life, spiritual life, then death must be at work in the preacher of the gospel. So, you have to die to yourself if you're going to share the gospel with others. That could be what it means to share in the sufferings of Christ. Another thing that it could mean is that when we suffer, when we have any affliction, if you are a Christian, there's a different purpose to your suffering than there is for someone who's not a Christian. A non-Christian can get cancer, and you, a believer, you can get cancer. But there's a difference. Uh, the, the believer getting cancer is one reason is so that you can share in this fellowship with Christ. You do not have a unique fellowship with Christ unless you suffer. The Son of God became a man, Hebrews 4.15 says. He became a man so that he could sympathize with you in your weaknesses. Well, if you're never weak, then you'll never know the sympathy of Jesus. You'll never know the comforts of Christ, this unique fellowship with Christ. And so when we suffer, we get this fellowship. We share in Christ's sufferings as he sympathizes with us, as he comes alongside and shares those sufferings with us. But as you share in those sufferings, you also share abundantly in comfort. And notice that word abundant there in verse 5. It's an overflowing comfort. It's like putting a bucket under a waterfall. And the waterfall, the water just keeps coming and coming and coming. And it's going to fill up the bucket and it's going to overflow continually. And it's going to never stop. As you share in the sufferings of Christ, you will receive the comfort of God through Christ that will be overflowing abundantly, never ending. But it's overflowing for the purpose of overflowing to other people, as we're going to see. So if you are in any affliction, God wants you to experience him as the God of all comfort. Now, we love comfort, don't we? How many of you wanted to sleep in a couple extra hours this morning? Your bed was so soft. You love sleeping in. You love relaxation. You love vacations. Well, this is what this passage is telling us, that we can have comfort, real comfort, be comfortable, but not in the fleshly, lazy sense, but in the real sense. You can know that God is with you. You can know that God is blessing you. 
You can have abundant comfort in your life. But to do it, you must share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. And maybe this is for some of you who have yet to follow Christ and have yet to profess your faith in him. Maybe you desire the comfort of God, but you're afraid to share abundantly in his sufferings. You're afraid to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him. And remember what Jesus says, that the only way to save your life is first to lose it. The only way to have this great comfort of God is to also share abundantly in his sufferings. And so the day has come. The time is now. Today is the day of salvation when you need to decide that, yes, you want the comfort of God, but you also want it through sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And so you will take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him for the rest of your life. And for those of you who have experienced the comfort of God, do you bless God? As verse 3 tells us to do. Are you thankful to God? Do you testify about God when he comforts you in all your affliction? Remember that story of Jesus who cleanses the lepers and nine go away and only one returns and thanks him? Are you the person who is overflowing with the comfort of God but never pauses to bless him and to thank him? If you've received God's comfort, comfort, then this passage challenges you to bless God. But, so we don't just receive the comfort now, we're also called to give it to others. And we see that in verse 4, it's very clear, it's so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction. And we see it also in verses 6 to 7. And read those again. If we are afflicted... It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. So in verse 6, Paul is very literally talking about himself with the Corinthians, that he experiences affliction for their salvation. He had to suffer so that they could hear the gospel. And so he is telling them about his afflictions for them. But this is a general truth. Again, as we said before, if people are going to be saved, then we must be afflicted. Charles Spurgeon tells a story to his students who were training to be pastors in the pastor's college about a sermon that he preached. He says, One Sabbath morning I preached from the text, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And though I did not say so, yet I preached my own experience. I heard my own chains clank while I tried to preach to my fellow prisoners in the dark. But I could not tell why I was brought into such an awful horror of darkness for which I condemned myself. On the next Monday evening, a man came to see me who bore all the marks of despair on his face. 
His hair seemed to stand upright, and his eyes were ready to come out of their sockets. He said to me after a little while, I never before in all my life heard any man speak who seemed to know my heart. I have a terrible case, but on Sunday morning you painted me to life and you preached as if you had been inside my soul. By God's grace, Spurgeon says, I saved that man from suicide and led him into gospel light and liberty. But I know I could not have done it if I had not myself been confined in the dungeon in which he lay. And so now he talks to the students. I tell you the story, brethren, because you sometimes may not understand your own experience. And the perfect people may condemn you for having it. But what do they know of God's servants? You and I have to suffer much for the sake of the people of our charge. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. That's what Spurgeon is saying. But it is for your comfort. You can be comforted. If we are comforted, he goes on, it is for your comfort. So as you experience the comfort of God yourself, you are then able to experience it, to, to pass it on to others. And remember verse 4. He comforts in all affliction with those who are in any affliction. So anybody in the church, it doesn't matter what they're going through. You are able to comfort them because you have been comforted by God. Now, again, I think there are two different ways that you can experience this. One way is that you've, you've probably experienced this very clearly, that if you have suffered in some way yourself, it's so much easier for you to comfort someone else going through that same suffering. Just like Spurgeon says, uh, he experienced depression, and so he was able to talk to a man who was depressed and give him that same comfort. And so maybe you have experienced certain forms of suffering, whether it's grief, losing someone you love, whether it is uh, getting cancer and going through cancer, whether it is uh, raising a, a wayward child or experiencing the loss of a child. Or raising a child with special needs. Or you yourself having a disability or a chronic pain. Something that you have had to learn yourself how to live in this life and how to have joy and how to glorify God and how to work through all these things. You know that as you've experienced your affliction and you're comforted, that then that helps you help others. God is training you, even though you don't see it in that moment. And you, honestly, you, we don't really want in that moment. We don't want that affliction. But one of the purposes is that even in that affliction, affliction, God is training you as a counselor. You're getting your counselor degree through the affliction that you yourself are experiencing and the comfort that you experience. And this is one of the blessings of the church. In the body of Christ, we are to mourn with those who mourn. In the body of Christ, you can probably find others who have gone through 
what you're going through right now. And sometimes you're the one receiving, but also you are the one who is also called to give. You are to mourn, you are to help, you are to encourage when you see someone else in their suffering. What you have experienced, you can then help others go through. But another way to think about this is not just that you have gone through a specific thing that they're also going through, but he says here that we can comfort people in any affliction in verse 4. And actually, sometimes we, we get it wrong when we say, well, I don't really want to talk to them. They don't know what I'm going through. They've never been through it. That, that's actually pride. Someone doesn't have to go through exactly what you're going through in order to be able to share God's comfort that they've experienced themselves. We're to comfort those in any affliction. And so... The way this works is that when we suffer, what it does is it makes us more tender in our hearts. So the Bible says to be tender-hearted towards one another. It makes us more sympathetic towards others. It shows us our own need for grace and dependence upon God so that then we can share with others, even though we can't exactly know what they're going through, we can share with others that they need to also depend upon God and his grace. We should be careful when we judge others because you know that you have gone through things that maybe are personal or maybe happened a long time ago. And you don't just go around parading your sufferings that you went through 30 years ago. But you know that your experiences and the way that you react to things, the way that you act today is because of maybe something that happened to you 30 years ago. And other people don't know about that. Well, if you've gone through that, then shouldn't you be careful about judging others? When someone does something that you don't like, when someone behaves a certain way or you think it's, it's odd or inappropriate... You don't know. Perhaps they have gone through their own afflictions that has led to who they are today. And so that is what suffering teaches you. It teaches you to sympathize with people, to have compassion on people, to know that they are struggling just like you struggled before. So we are called to then Comfort others. And so in this sense, this passage is telling you, don't waste this part of your suffering. If you're going through a hard time, or if you have gone through a hard time, don't just sit around and mope. Don't throw a pity party. Don't make it all about you. Know that God has brought this for others also. So that you may bless others. Think how you can serve them. How can you help others? How can you encourage? If you felt nobody cares about me. Nobody in the church cares about me. Well why don't you be the person. To then go care about someone else. 
Because what if they're sitting around saying, nobody cares about me and what I'm going through? Don't waste your suffering. Allow it to teach you to comfort others. The word comfort literally just means in Greek, the same thing it means in English. It means to come beside somebody and fortify them. That's what the fort means. Strengthen them. Go beside someone and say, I'm sorry for what you're going through. I'm praying for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. God will carry you through. All these things that you have learned, come beside someone and comfort them. That's one of the reasons that God brings bad things into our lives. Well, the second main thing, and like I said, we're not going to focus as much time on this one. The second purpose of suffering is to teach us to rely on God. Let's read verses 8 to 10. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now, I find it a little bit funny that in verse 8, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of my affliction in Asia, but then he doesn't tell us what his affliction was. We don't know. We don't know what he experienced. Uh, So please don't come up to me after the sermon and say, well, what, what did he go through? Well, you can read a bunch of commentaries, and the answer is nobody knows. Nobody knows the affliction. And I think Paul does this on purpose. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter exactly what he went through. Paul is not here to write a great adventure story of, I survived. Here's how I survived this near-death experience. He's not writing a book to make a lot of money and sell a bunch of copies. Paul is trying to draw our attention to God. Not to his adventures. So we don't know. Shipwreck, sickness, persecution, we don't know. It doesn't matter. What we do know is that he says he was so utterly burdened beyond strength that he despaired of his own life. This burden that he's talking about is an image of an animal, like a mule, with a giant pack on its back. And you can just picture this mule going up a a mountain, uh, a cliff in Israel, and uh, breaking under the weight, stumbling on these rocks, and trying to get up again, and stumbling a little more, and then finally just collapsing. And the weight just crushes the mule and breaks his back. And he can't get up. There's nothing that it can do. You know, when when horses break their backs, they they put the horses down because there's nothing you can do. And so he feels so crushed like this beast with this huge burden on his back that he says, I was utterly burdened beyond my strength, exceedingly burdened. that I don't see any way out. That's why he says he despairs of life itself. 
It's not that he wants to die. It's that he just thinks he's about to die. He doesn't see that there is any way out. And so he says in verse 9, it feels like a death sentence. A person on death row, I mean, I know in, in, in law today, people just appeal and appeal forever until they're like 100, and then they die naturally on death row. But that's not how it worked back then. A person on in death row knows that they have the, the sentence of death and that in two days they are going to be executed. What's that feel like? Paul says, I feel like in maybe a day or two, I'm gone. It's over. I don't know how to escape this situation. Now maybe you felt that way too. Paul is not literally, I don't think, talking about how he was physically about to die. Maybe he was. But he is saying that he doesn't see that there's any way out, any solution to this affliction. And so maybe you have experienced something like this. When when a doctor comes into the, the room and says, you have cancer. You're going to die. Or when you get the ultrasound and the the doctor says, we didn't find a heartbeat. That feels like the sentence of death. Or when a spouse says, I'm leaving. These are situations that that come to you and they hit you and the, the wave hits you and you realize there's no way out. This is happening to me. Have you had those experiences where you're thinking, is this really happening? And then you think, yes, that really did just happen. And my life is forever changed. From now on, I'm, I'm either going to die of cancer or I'm going to be a cancer survivor. From now on, I am going to be a divorced person. Because they just told me that it's done. There's nothing That I can do. I feel like the sentence of death has come upon me. But God, Paul says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The most impossible situation you can get is a dead person. A dead person cannot come back to life on their own. A dead person cannot fix their problem. But God has power to raise the dead. God raised his son Jesus from the dead. And so Paul is saying, when I felt like there was absolutely no way out of this situation, there was no way to fix this. I had the sentence of death. God taught me that he can raise the dead. He can do the impossible. And so I learned to stop relying on myself. So this is another part of suffering. You learn to stop relying on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. We are very prideful people. We love ourselves and we think that we can rely on ourselves. And that if we just work a little harder, think a little better, 
do a little more, that there are things that we can do to fix the situation. And sometimes God has to bring you to this point of the sentence of death. There is literally nothing else you can do to get out of this. So you'll stop relying on yourself. John Calvin says about this, The fleshly confidence with which we are puffed up is so obstinate that it can't be overthrown in any other way than by us falling into utter despair. For as the flesh is proud, it does not willingly give way, nor are we brought to true submission until we've been brought down by the mighty hand of God. This malady is so deeply rooted in the minds of men that even the most advanced are not thoroughly purged from it until God sets death before their eyes. So as holy and sanctified as Paul was at this point, Paul's pride was so deep-rooted that he needed the sentence of death to rip out the roots of that pride. And this is what God does in your life. And sometimes you think, well, I think I've learned that lesson by now. God, please, I hope that I've learned that lesson. And then again, something again, even worse, happens. Because your pride is so rooted deeply in your heart that God sends you these afflictions to teach you not to rely on yourself. But he, he says in verse 10, God delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. We can learn the lesson and we can be thankful to God and hopeful that God in the future will rescue us. Tozer says, How completely satisfying it is to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. And it's our own foolishness, it's our own pride, that it takes us so much time to turn from our own limitations to the God who has none. And then Paul ends by saying that the the Corinthians should pray for him so that when he is rescued, he can give thanks to God on his behalf. Uh, confident that God will deliver them again. So, why does affliction happen to you? Maybe some of you right now are feeling utterly burdened beyond your strength. Why is this happening to you? Well, it's so that you might know the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, That he would comfort you in this affliction. And so that one day you will be able to comfort others with the comfort you've received. And he wants you to despair of your own self and life. To learn not to rely on yourself, but on God who raises the dead. May we pray that we would be one day like Paul. To bless God. Bless God for bringing these afflictions into our lives. Bless him because it was through those things that we learned he is the father of mercies, the God 
of all comfort. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that we can come and pray to you as a sovereign God who ordains whatever comes to pass. Because through that we have confidence that if we are in Christ, you are our God and the Father of mercies. And so we can bless you as the hand that guideth through all our trials. We thank you that even though we cannot see it now and by our own pride and our flesh and the deceits of this world, we, we doubt you and we focus it on ourselves rather than relying upon you. We thank you that one day you will glorify us. We will be able to look back on our lives with great confidence of how you used our afflictions so that we might comfort others and how you have taught us to rely upon you. Thank you that we can say that you do all things well. Help us to rest in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.